All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Glad to have you guys with us. My name's Jeff. This is my wife, Kim. Come on, give it up for my wife. Yeah. Uh, look, she didn't really want to be up here, and so uh, she was like, hey, look, I, I just made an announcement on the video announcements here at the Carney campus, and Tiffany, campus pastor out in North Platte, just made an announcement, but I just thought that this women's event that was coming up was so important that I wanted to make sure that everybody heard from you, both at this campus and at North Platte and at the home campus where people are worshiping with us right now. Yes, and I see how you're trying to steamroll over our little I am trying to steamroll. No, there's no performance. Anything you can do, I can do better. (laughs) Come on. Anything you can do, you can do better. Yes. (laughs) There you go. I like that version, I like it. All right, so That's just a quick version, people. It's not the version (laughs) that happens at our house. Let me, let me hear all the ladies in the house at North Platte and Kearney campus. Yes. Awesome. Listen, we have a great opportunity coming up this Friday night, as you saw. I'm at the Kearney campus at 7 o'clock in the youth auditorium where we're going to just... Me, let me, you scoot over this way just one second. Okay. I'm going to come over here and help you. Okay. <laughs> and um, listen, it's going to be a great time of connection. We need each other, girls. All right. And um, I just want to challenge you to show up. You will be glad that you did. Get online and register at mynewlifechurch.com. And then also for the North Platte ladies, and I know that they're shouting out right now, um, Saturday we have an event for them as well, and that starts at 9.30 a.m., and that's March 31st, so this Saturday, or 30th, I'm sorry, this Saturday. Get online and sign up. Tomorrow's the deadline, okay? So are you with me? Right on. All right, come on, show up, all right? It's yeah. going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Yes. Thanks, honey. Yep. Hey, so look, from me to all of you, ladies, all right, uh, I really think this event is super important, all right? Uh, it, it's really something that you're going to benefit from. You're going to be able to build some relationships that maybe you don't have or that you can strengthen some. And the one thing my wife didn't want me to say, but because she had to do her little performance, I'm going to say what I want to say. And that's this, that just so you know, uh, coming up this Friday night is my wife's birthday, by the way. Yeah. And so, no, she did not plan her own birthday party. She wanted to make sure that everybody knew that. All right. But I am going to say this to you. Kill two birds with one stone. All you have to do is show up, and that will be an incredible birthday gift. I do want you to know, though, that we have tons and tons of women that are already signed up. But the reason why I wanted to stop for a minute and make this announcement is because I know that there's tons and tons of you that have yet to sign up. And I didn't want you to miss out. And I want you to know it's important. The the woman that we have coming to speak both here at Kearney and in North Platte is Dory Donaldson. Um, And I know that name might not make a lot of sense to you, but with our most recent floods, one of the organizations that we're partnered with, with Convoy of Hope, uh, with Kingdom Builders as Convoy of Hope. And Dory and her husband, Hal, are the founders of Convoy of Hope that are international now in meeting, you know, humanitarian needs at moments just like this and feeding hundreds of thousands of children all to communicate the good news of Jesus. So high, high caliber person we've got coming in to minister. You're going to definitely walk away uh, with a lot of great things. So you're going to want to sign up today. Okay. If you don't sign up today, I think the price goes from $10 to $100, if I'm not mistaken. It's just a little bit of change. I don't know the difference between that. So 
<clears throat> Actually, I have no idea. But sign up today, okay? Sign up today. Hey, look, we are in a teaching series we entitled The Lord's Prayer. Between now and Easter, we've been going, we're going through the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of our way of stopping, slowing down a little bit, you know, focusing our lives in and finding a way to connect with our Savior uh, more closely than maybe what we have been doing. And so every week is a challenge um, in this prayer that Jesus used to teach us. So today I want to take you to the scripture that we're going to start with. <clears throat> it says this, Jesus was teaching about prayer and he goes, pray this way. Right? May your kingdom come soon, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, for some of you, you were here last week, and you're like, hey, look, that's the same verse as last week. Right? We already heard that sermon. You're right. We're going to build on that sermon. Because last week, we talked about your kingdom come. And when we talked about your kingdom come, we looked at it, and we said, what does that really mean? When Jesus was saying pray like this, what was he really saying to pray? Was he saying, hey, look, pray that my governance would come to the earth and I would reign and rule over every, every government, every nation, every business. You know, is that what he was saying? And we discovered very quickly that no, that's not what he was talking about initially. That day is coming, by the way. But he was talking about when we pray, we should be asking that the, the Lord, God, who reigns in the heavens, would reign here in our personal life while we're on earth. That the same authority that God has over the heavens, that he would have in our personal life. And so it was this invitation for the king to come and establish his kingdom in our heart. Now, once you get that, right, because if you don't get that, this next week as we're moving into this, continuing the Lord's Prayer, it's not going to connect with you. It's going to be a disconnect. So if you, don't, if you don't really have that or you missed last week, I'm going to encourage you, go to MyNewLifeChurch.com, click on our On Demand, and watch last week's message. It's like 30 minutes long. I may have gone a couple minutes over. 32 minutes, okay? Let's give it that, all right? And, if, and so watch that because it's something you're going to want to connect with in your spirit. Because this week we're going to tackle those next words that he said, which is this. Your will be done. That's where we want to focus in, on your will be done. Now, there's a lot of books and there's a lot of counselors that have focused on this issue that we have in, humani in humanity. In fact, it's really evident in our children. I any of you guys have to raise a strong-willed child? Anybody have to raise a strong-willed child? Does anybody live with a strong-willed child still? We're talking, it could even be your spouse. Okay. Who was the strong-willed child? Okay, we got a couple of honest people. All right, good. Some of you have never grown out of being the strong-willed child. You do realize that, right? Okay, I just find it interesting that here's these children, just little tykes running around with these extremely strong wills. And it's caused me to come to this epiphany. I got it way later than you came to it. Got it, but just give me some grace. To come to this aha moment to realize God's the one who created us with a will. For some, it's stronger than others. But in all of our lives, he created us with a will. Our will to think what we want to think, do what we want to do, be where we want to be. And that will, when it is led by our sinful nature, always leads us to destruction. The Bible says when your will is led by your sinful nature, it leads you to Death, that's the word it uses. Death in the sense of separation from God. I think we all can say we have 
We've felt that before. All of us can say we've, we've wrestled with that before. Like we understand when my will is led by my sinful nature, it always leads to destruction. And so the journey of the believer, the journey of the person who wants Jesus to be the leader and the Lord of their life is to figure out how to constantly surrender our will to God's will, watch this though, in everything. That's exactly what Martin Luther was trying to preach hundreds of years ago, right? What he was trying to drive home was this very same idea that you have a will, God has a will, and the goal of the Christian life is to surrender your will to God's will. Here's how he said it in a prayer. He said, basically, God, grant us grace to to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering, and adversity, and to recognize, here's the key, that in this, these difficult times, your divine will is doing something to our will. What's it doing? Literally, what he's saying is this. God, give me, grant us the grace to surrender to your will even when it's difficult Because when I'm doing that, something profound is taking place. My will is being crucified, meaning my will is what? Dying. That's the journey of the believer. The the whole reason why we commit our life to Christ and God leaves us on this earth is for us to learn the process of surrendering our will to his in all things. Let my will die so that your will can live. So when Jesus says, pray this way, God, Father, your will be done, not mine, you need to understand that when you pray that way, you are literally praying, God, let your will be done, and please, God, keep me from living out my will. It's like one or the other. You can't have both at the same time. There is no gray zone. It's either God's will being done or it's your will being done. And what I love about Jesus is that he taught us this but then he modeled it. Think with me about the Garden of Gethsemane, meaning that place where Jesus was at right before he got arrested, right before he gets flogged, right before he goes through his kangaroo court trial, right before he ends up on the cross hanging, you know, before humanity in disgrace with a sign that says, King of the Jews. Really, basically? And right before that, he's in the garden. And in that garden, he's praying. And he models for us this very thing he taught chapters before. May your will be done. And then he shows us what it looks like. Go with me to this passage of scripture, Matthew 26. It says that he, being Jesus, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. So Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And he he became, look at these two words. Say these words with me. He became what? Anguished and distressed. He being Jesus, became anguished and distressed. Jesus told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Wait. This is a weighty moment. He's got anguish. He's distressed. He's crushed. You know, even with this grief, this understanding, this point of death that's coming, he goes to, the, he goes to Peter, James, and John, stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I've had the chance to be in Israel a couple of times. 
gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you've ever had that opportunity, it's mind-blowing. It's when you're down in this valley with the old city up on one side and the Dome of the Rock sitting right there, and on the other side, you could climb up the mountain and uh, be on the, the top of the Mount of Olives, and here you are down in the valley between these two things, and you're at this literal garden with these these trees, these olive trees that are there that are, they're just, they're, they're huge and they're old and they're ancient. And then your guide tells you that the, the scientists believe that these trees are of the age that you're staring at right now that you can reach out and you can touch. They're of the age of which that they could have been here when Jesus was here. All of a sudden, the reality of this prayer comes rushing in. And you see Jesus knelt down somewhere in this near vicinity with these kind of ancient trees. Something tangible there that could have been there from his time walking the earth. And all of a sudden you feel the weight of this prayer that he's praying. And then you think to yourself of the, the, the minuscule thing that you're wrestling with. And how small it is compared to his prayer that he was praying in that garden. And when you stand there, it is quite the overwhelming experience. But I do have to admit that I have thought to myself, like, God, why did you put this portion of Scripture in your word for us? Why did you put that in there? Because if you're a seeker today and Jesus isn't your Lord and he isn't your leader and you're asking the question, who is God, you could have the tendency to look at this very passage and you could say, this shows Jesus the Savior being overcome with the sense of death. Like, why would that be in there? It seems as if it shows him in some kind of a weak state in some capacity that you have a hard time wrapping your head around. In fact, there are actual theologians that believe to be anguished or distressed or to be feeling the crush, you know, with the grief of death was for Jesus to say these words, that he is terrified with the mission that's ahead of him. And that's a big statement. I'm not saying that I believe that. I'm just saying that as theologians attempt to interpret the original language of what Jesus was saying and the meaning behind it, it's a statement of almost being terrified by the mission that's ahead of him. Now look, before you call me a heretic and you yell out, heresy, just follow me on this for a second. I've wondered why that's in there because throughout history there are people that have been martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. And there's still people being martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. And many of those martyrs have gone to their death with a boldness. And they've stared death straight in the face. And they went after it with a boldness in their heart like, like ha they have for centuries. But like as an example, in the 1880s, there were 24 young men in the, in the country of Uganda, 24 of them. right? 13 of them were Catholic, 11 of them were Protestants, and they all were burned at the stake. All of them, because they wouldn't, they wouldn't change the profession that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Savior. And at the stake, some of these 24 young men, young men, not, not middle-aged or old men, young men that have their whole life ahead of them, they said words like this, you can burn our bodies, but you cannot harm our souls. Now that's bold. I would hope that that's the kind of person I would be if I had to face death. So why is it that Jesus is facing death and he's anguished and he's distressed and when he thinks about death, he's overcome with it. Why is it that Jesus is that way while other martyrs are going to their death with a boldness? 
And I would say to you that the difference between the two is found right in the midst of his prayer. So follow me on this. He said these words, my father, right? If it's possible, and then watch the next words, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. What is it about the cup that matters so much? Because it is the cup that is the, that's the, the difference between why Jesus is being anguished and, and all stressed out, and while other martyrs, they go to death with boldness. It's the cup. What is the cup? The cup in the Old Testament always represented the wrath or the anger of God. Jesus is saying to his father, take this wrath and this anger that I feel from you and take it away from me. Look at Jeremiah. It's to drive home the point about the cup being the, the, the instrument of wrath. It says that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled to the brim with my anger, the Lord is saying, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink from it. And when they drink from it, they will stagger crazed by their warfare, and I will, set, and I will send it against them. This cup that Jesus is talking about is the wrath or the anger of God. And Jesus has only known in all of his life, a closest with the Father in prayer. All the other moments in Scripture when Jesus goes away to pray, he finds a closeness with his Father. That's why he prays at one moment. He goes, Father, may they be one as we are one. There's this intimacy. There's this closeness. And only Jesus, was, Jesus knows the closeness with God far better than you and me will ever know it. But now Jesus, in this garden moment, was experiencing the wrath of God towards the sin of humanity that Jesus was going to carry all the way to the cross. And Jesus was beginning to experience the separation from the Father. As he was being taken, taking on the sins of the world, he was experiencing this intense separation from the Father that was happening. So other martyrs, they've experienced a closeness with God, which gave them a boldness when they went to their death. But Jesus at this moment is experiencing an intense separation from the Father at his death. And if you can feel that tension at this moment, then you can wrap yourself around the words that Jesus says next and why they are so powerful. That when Jesus says, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup, let this wrath, let this anger that I'm feeling from you on me right now, let it be taken away from me. However, even though I feel this way, even though there's this intense, this intense separation with you that causes anguish and distress and the pain of death is upon me, I want your will to be done, not mine. Guys, that's an intense statement when you really truly understand it. You can really put yourself in that situation. You can grasp now why there's anguish, but you can value like you've never valued before the power behind a statement of, but let your will be done. So what is it that Jesus is really trying to teach us through this prayer? I think the first thing he's really trying to teach us is integrity to God's will. He's showing us that integrity is remaining consistent no matter what you feel and no matter what you're wrestling with. That when the times get their toughest, integrity to God's will says that I'm going to remain faithful to God and to his perfect will, no matter what I'm facing. Because guys, look, it's a lot easier to remain consistent before God when God's doing things that you think God should do. 
It's a lot harder to remain consistent when God's doing things in your life that you don't agree with. Are you with me on that? Yeah, I actually got an amen on that one. Right, because that's the truth. So I want you to think with me now. Think about Jesus. Think about how he felt with this intense separation from his father. Psychologists have told us that the most intense trauma that a person experiences on this earth comes when they see or they're around a tragic death of a loved one that now they just can never get back out of their mind. But they quickly will tell you that the second greatest trauma that a person on this earth deals with is divorce and, you know, the breakup of a long-term relationship. Why is that? Because of what the Bible says. The Bible says that two, thinking about marriage for a second, two become one. And they become intertwined together in so many different ways. They become intertwined in memories, emotions, pain, victories. They become intertwined in sex and then the, the raising and the birthing of children and on and on and on, intertwined. But that through divorce, there is this ripping apart that takes place of this intense interwoven connectivity between the two. Now think about Jesus. Jesus was experiencing for the very first time in eternity, the very first time in eternity, the ripping apart from the oneness that he had with his father. Jesus, he never knew this type of separation. Jesus had never experienced this type of trauma in his life, but in the midst of that trauma, in the midst of that agony, Jesus says willfully, that your will be done, not mine. That, my friends, is the most powerful example of allowing the integrity of God's will to be lived out in your life no matter how you feel. How can you apply that to your life? I would suggest you follow the footsteps of Jesus. And first, don't bail on God when times get tough. We bail on God when times get tough, guys. We bail because here's what we do. We say we love you, but we're going to do it our way. That's bailing on God when times get tough. Instead, do just the opposite. Jesus, he moved in closer to the Father when times got tough instead of bailing. But here's another thing that Jesus did that I think all of us should apply to our life. When you're going through some of your most difficult, challenging moments, do what Jesus did. He invited Peter, James, and John. Get a couple of good friends, bring them close to you, and have them walk through the process with them, invite them to be praying with you. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He went to Peter, James, and John. He goes, hey, you three, come with me. I, I've got something I'm carrying that is heavy. I want you to wait with me, meaning I want you to pray with me. And if you know the story, he goes back and he checks on them a couple of different times, only to find out that they're asleep. So, point be taken, find friends that will stay awake with you. <laughs> but on a serious note, you're going to have to go back to them over and over and over again while you wrestle with letting God's will be done in your life versus your will being done. That's not weakness. That's being smart. That's being smart. So just because it takes you a week, two weeks, a month to embrace God's will, if you're doing it Jesus' way, it's the right way. What else was Jesus trying to teach us, though, through this prayer? And that would be this, to trust God's will. So you have to have integrity with God's will, but you have to also trust God's will. 
I mean, to pray for God's will to be done, let your will be done, not mine, requires you to trust that no matter what you walk through, his will is always perfect. I mean, guys, look, God never promised that you're going to just have a, you know, smooth life and that everything's just going to go the way you want it to. That's not what he promised. You're going to have, you're going to have troubles in your life. But here's what God asks us to do. He asks us to trust him. And God has a purpose for asking us to trust him. But he also has a promise for asking us to trust him. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Romans 15, 13 says this. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you what? Oh, wow. And because you trust him, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why God's saying to you and me, he's saying, he's saying look, trust me. Here's the reason why. Because if you do, I'll fill you completely with what? Joy and peace. And you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now think with me for a moment. Jesus didn't hang on the cross with this anguish and this distress. In fact, you see Jesus hanging on the cross with peace. You also see the evidence of Jesus hanging on the cross with a confident hope. Something happened in that garden while Jesus was praying where he surrendered his will and he embraced his father's will. And through that, you watch Jesus walk through that trial, walk through the flogging, hang on the cross with peace and with a confident hope, knowing that he's fulfilling the will of the Father. And how could he get any better than that? Now, if that incredible, most amazing example doesn't really sink in for you, and you don't really get it quite yet, maybe you'll get the one from the Lord of the Rings. Where Gandalf says the Frodo... Here's this ring, right, Frodo was what again? He was like, right, I always want to call him an elf. I don't know why. Okay, he's an elf, he's a, he's a what? A hobbit, right, okay, got it. Gandalf says to the hobbit, Frodo, take the ring, take it to Mordor, and I want you to destroy it there. But what is Frodo, for any of you guys that watch these movies, or read the books, what is Frodo, what does he wrestle with, with the ring? He wrestles with trusting Gandalf's plan. And he, he wrestles with the idea that I want to use the ring for my power. Use the ring so that I can be the most powerful person in all of Middle Earth. And he wrestles with the idea of, you know, worshiping the ring and the ring becoming an idol for him. He'll just, you know, take it out when he needs to and he'll put it on and he'll feel the sensation of it. And he wrestles with trusting Gandalf's plan. He, he's tempted with letting the ring control him. But in the end... Frodo, and here's where I need a lot of grace. In the end, Frodo, just like Jesus, that's where I need the grace. <laughs> Frodo trusts Gandalf's plan. Jesus trusts the Father's plan. And in the end, the ring's destroyed. And in the end, sin is destroyed. The power of sin is destroyed. The power of sin gets destroyed because Jesus surrenders his will to the Father's will. So this is what Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us that God's will is always better than our will. Guys, let me just say this to you. If you're walking in a moment where you're like, wow, this is an awesome moment of life. Like God's will is exactly what I would want. Then please drive this point deep in your heart. God's will is always perfect. 
Because when it's the opposite, and all of a sudden you're like, God, why isn't your will like my will? You're going to have to say to yourself, oh, that's right. God's will is always perfect. But here's another thing about trusting God. There's nothing wrong in communicating your will to God. It's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? Isn't it? When he said, Father, can this cup pass from me? That was his will. I want you to know today that whenever you deal with difficult moments in life and challenging moments, you're going to have a will. God put that in there. And you're going to have ideas. And I want you to know it's okay to communicate your will to God. That's not a lack of faith. That's the reality of what we walk through, the anguish and the pain and the challenge that we walk through in our humanity to communicate your will back to God is not the problem. The problem is walking away from that prayer and following out your will. Be open and honest with God. Communicate that to him, but in the end, surrender your will to his will and walk out his perfect will, which is perfect every time. So today, to help drive this point home, we're going to be partaking of communion after I pray. All right, that's why you were given those elements. And if at both campuses, if you weren't given a com communion element, just put your hand up and our host will come by and they'll give one to you right now. Okay, they're going to be looking while I'm finishing this message. But today we're taking communion so that you can have a better opportunity to connect with God's will more closely than ever before. And we're going to be, as we take communion, I want you to do something with me. So I know there's just little movement around both campuses, but just pay attention to what I'm saying. Right? As we take communion, let your heart embrace God's will. Let your heart embrace God's will in this capacity. All right? Follow me on this. Let your heart embrace God's will by thanking Jesus for surrendering his will to the Father so that the power of the cross can crush, can crush the destruction of your sin. But at the same time, I want you to ask God for the strength to follow his will no matter what the cost is. That's the connection I want you to make today. So if you can do that, that's where we're going to go. You can remain seated. I'm going to pray, turning it over after my prayer to our campus pastors who are going to lead us in communion at both of our campuses. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you that when your will's done, even if it's painful for us, it's perfect. But I thank you that the life of Jesus modeled for us what it really looks like to follow your will at the most painful, anguishing moment. It wasn't about the death. Jesus wasn't scared about dying physically. But what caused him anguish was intense separation from you. Lord, may we learn something about that right now. If it was that anguishing for Jesus to be separated from you, we never want to be separated from you. So right now, if there's people that are far from you, may they get their life right with you right now. Because if it caused Jesus anguish, what kind of emotion is it going to cause us? What kind of pain is it going to cause us to be separated from you for eternity? May our lives be right with you. So we might spend eternity with you. Because you, Father, and the Son, Jesus, you went through the pain. You went through the pain of letting your will be done. So that your kingdom could come in our heart. So Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for who you are and all that you've done. 
for the fact that you're coming back for us soon one day. And you said to us that as often as we take these elements, that we do it in remembrance of you. Today, all of our attention is on you. We thank you for what you've done. May you give us the strength to do the very same thing. In Jesus' name, amen.